Welcome to the Ed Milet Show. This podcast is for those who want to do more, see more, and be more. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I'm Ed Milet. This gentleman to my left needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. And it would take 20 minutes, maybe like 20 days if I listed all of it. (laughs) So here's what I'll just tell you about him. Three-time Olympic winter gold medalist, 15-time X Game gold medalist, and 11 ESPY awards. Only guy ever to win a gold medal in the winter and summer X Games. And then also, he made it all the way up. This was interesting to me. He made it all the way up to number two on business weeks of the 100 most influential athletes in the world. Mm -hmm. Pretty big deal. And then was also on Forbes magazine list of 30 under 30, too. So this guy's accomplished so many things. And this is from a young man who started out as as a very young man with two open heart surgeries. Most people don't yeah, know that about yeah. you. So this guy right here is Sean White, everybody. Thanks for being here, Thanks brother. for having me, man. This Good is to awesome. have you. We've been talking about doing it for a while, and so he's been skating earlier yeah, today, and he yeah. said, I'll crash down at your house and we'll do this. No, so. it's perfect. I like I skate up the way, maybe an hour away, so I just popped through. I'm glad you popped by, brother. I'm super excited about it. All right. uh, you know how impressed I am with you and how much I like you. I'm grateful for our friendship. Oh, but thank you. Let's talk about a few things with you. I, I want to go back, because everybody, you're, this, you're really an icon. I mean, you're mm. a sports and cultural icon. And so, you know, everyone listening to this or watching this pretty much knows who you are. But I don't think a lot of them know the whole story. Mm-hmm. I thought, frankly, like because of snowboarding, I thought this guy yeah. probably comes from a really affluent family mm. because it looks to me like an expensive sport, it's right? A, but, yeah, it's a pricey sport. I mean, snowboarding's tough. You got the equipment, you got to get to the mountain somehow, lodging, food, everything in that bubble of the resort's really expensive. So, so how does your mom is a waitress? Your dad was like really work with his hands. Yeah. Like literally was literally digging ditches and holes <laughs> yeah, for basically. the water company, right? So how does uh-huh. a family like yours end up getting you into this sport? How'd that even happen? You know, we just kind of made it work. I just remember at the time, um, any big expenses, like we, we didn't go huge on Christmas and on these things. Like mm. we didn't need the gifts. We just spent the money on trips. Mm. So we would take like a big family trip together up to the mountains or go to Hawaii or mm. somewhere like that to surf. And my mom, you know, comes from that background of like how to stretch a dollar. So yeah. you know what I mean? Like we're flying to Hawaii, but we're taking like six stops to get there. <laughs> yeah, like, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like we're rushing to the front on, on Southwest because it's not assigned seats. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We made it work or yeah. we would wait till there's a big sale on tickets, stuff like that. So like my mom had that like kind of can-do attitude and my dad was always like, you know, going with the flow and he was yeah. able to like go do those sports with us. So it was an amazing for me growing up because instead of having my dad like yell at me from the side of a, yeah. uh, a field somewhere, he was like riding with me. Doing it with you and yeah. your brother, right? Yeah, so, and talk about having something in common. Yeah, and then slowly like, you know, my brother started snowboarding. I had to do it because he was doing it. He's like seven years older. And yeah. then my sister started, then my dad, then my mom. So it became like our family thing together. So cool. Yeah. One of the things about you that I learned is like, this is really like, it's your story, but it's like a really cool family story For ab- sure. about what your family sacrificed to get you there. Yeah. But dude, you started, is this right? Were you skiing at four? Four, yeah, yeah. Man, I don't, I don't know how it all worked out. We did these like weekend random trips up to Big Bear and Snow Summit. Those yep. are the mountains outside of LA. And uh, you know, we would drive up there and rent skis and go for it. My dad skied in the past at some point, so he already mm-hmm. like was into it and that's how it started. And then at some point when I was probably like five and a half, six years old, my brother was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this thing snowboarding. Dude. And I'm thinking, 
all right, well, whatever he has, I want. I want to do what he's doing. So immediately I begged my parents and they, they pretended like they were doing me a, a favor. They're yeah. like, oh, we'll let you snowboard. Yeah, for right. sure. But they're thinking, okay, like I was that kind of horrible like redheaded child in your neighborhood, like <laughs> cutting down your rose bushes and stuff. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut them down. I just like had a lot of energy and yeah. I was like, oh wow, like what would this be like? <laughs> so yeah, that's not so going once, away by the once way, they put me on skis, like I would like dart into the trees and they couldn't find me. I wasn't allowed poles because I would like hit my you siblings. Poles. Yeah, yeah, so like, you know, it turned yeah. into a, yep. a weapon. And so, you know, they're like, we'll put him on a snowboard and we'll, he'll be falling, like we'll keep track of him. And um, and it was true. I was terrible when I first started you were. out. I wanted yeah. to know that. I wasn't that great because obviously the boards were so big. Right. But what happened is th is that you know everything kind of has a as a you know ending destination. And, and what happened is since there was no boards my size, my mom called Burton Snowboards, mm -hmm. and was like, "Hey, my son loves snowboarding. He wants to do it, but we can't find any equipment his size." And they're like, "Oh my goodness! Just so happens we're coming out with the kids line. He, you should talk to the California rep." he'll give you some product and there you go. No way. And that's how it all started. So I was sponsored when I was like six or seven at that point. You were sponsored at yeah. six. Do you, hear yeah. how, do you know how? No, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is so yeah. I, no one's asked you this before and it's just because I know people who know you and I. Yeah. I know you talk about your dad, but like you, was your mom more the driver of the two or was it like just sort of a family thing you all enjoyed doing? Or was yeah. it, was, did mom, you said dad didn't push you. Did mom push you at it's all? It's just like everyone was in the same direction. You know, like yeah. dad was go with the flow but my mom for sure was the like go get them type she was the one that was like calling Burton to get the product yeah. and she was the one you know when we were on the mountains to make sure like why don't we enter him in some contests and like oh hey there's someone uh, filming like why don't you Sean why don't you go to your airs in front of him you know really? like those kind of just little yeah. things and, yeah. and and it ended up actually like growing my career dramatically I'm but sure. she was always the one like um, pushing those angles and things but they were always very you know, apparent with me. They're like, if you don't like this at any point, mm. tell us. So how old were you when you won your first snowboarding contest? I was probably six or seven, yeah. And that was a big deal, because when Burton gave me my first snowboard, they're like, hey, look, I was called, a, it was called Flow Rider. Like you get flowed product, free yep. product. Um, and then if on occasion they could help you with some travel money okay. to get to a competition. But they're like, hey, look, if we give you these boards, it'd be nice if you guys entered some contests and you know started to be in the, in the circuit. Mm. And um, it was a race and I was pretty fast. And at the time they didn't really make, even Burton didn't make boots that uh, you know, were for kids. So I used ski boots. And something about the hard boots, like it allowed me to edge really well. Yeah. So I was fast and I could edge really well and I won the race. And that was a big thing because I'm thinking, at that point in life, I was still the like terrible kid in the neighborhood getting in trouble for stuff. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like someone put a medal on me and I was like, oh. Seriously. <laughs> I can win something, wow. Like I felt empowered and I felt like I found that outlet for all my energy and and now like my parents are supporting and my brother, so my brother and sister also competed at the mm -hmm. time, even my dad for fun at one point. But um, you know, it really kind of like gave me that wind in my sails to like have a focus. 
it seems to me like there was something to you having this older brother that you almost yeah. competed with. Talk oh, about that for, sure. for a second. Yeah, the sibling uh, sibling rivalry was was heavy. I mean, I don't think he really cared, but sure. it meant the world to me to mm. beat him at anything. Yeah, he was better at video games. He was better at board games. Uh, he could skate better than me. He could snowboard better than me. Ping pong, anything you name it, he mm. would always win. And so I had always you know, this urge to better myself and get better so that I could compete with him. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something to be said because he's seven years older than me. Yes. So now I'm competing with him, trying to beat him, but I'm seven years younger. So I would go out and learn these tricks that yep. he was doing yep. and then drop back down to my age bracket and just crush. Dominate people. Yeah. I think it'd be easy for people to listening to this or watch it to say, that's a really cool story. Mm -hmm. Except what he's actually giving you is actually a recipe of how to be successful. And mm -hmm. I want you all to hear this. The first part of it is he found something he loved. The second part of it is it became a family commitment. Mm -hmm. And so the family was behind it. Mm -hmm. The third part of it is you picked somebody who was far better than you to compete and run with and train mm -hmm. with. And in business, you've got to find people that are ahead of you, that are more successful than you, that you kind of run with, that are in your circle. Mm -hmm. And you begin to match and mirror them and the way they talk, they walk, they make sales, they have ideas, they yeah. strategize. It's the same formula in other places. Mm -hmm. So I just want them to hear a little bit more about the family and then we're going to get into like all the stuff everyone no. Oh, please, hear. yeah. What tell me about Big Mo? Oh, the Mo. <laughs> I want them to feel this. I want them to. I want them to. I want them to know oh, about man. this family. You did your to, research. Of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> so yeah. So things are starting to take off. I'm. I'm now like almost equal with my brother skill wise, mm -hmm. and um, I've got more sponsors, more attention, and I've been on this like winning tear. Yeah. And we're like family of five, like you said, it's expensive to make these rounds and get to the mountains. We're like, the only way we think we can do it is to, and my mom had already taken like a loan out on the house. Wow. And, and we were thinking, let's get a van. It's like, yeah. it's like old school van life. Like, <laughs> let's just get those hit the road. Like we'll get the van. And so my mom found a van somehow and it had been used as like a stakeout van near the border to like watch, you know, yeah. the border no and, uh, and, down by Tijuana. Yeah. <laughs> and so we bought this van. It was just like awful, like rust color. Nice. Which was probably a lot just of just rust. <laughs> you know? It wasn't a rust color. But whoever was, was in it had like all these cats and stuff. And so we had to like flea bomb this thing and like whatever we paid was too much. And so, and, and, and but my mom like, all right, well, we're going to stretch a dollar. She took it down to Tijuana, got it reupholstered, all the things we had it painted. And my dad's, you know, pretty handy. So mm. he installed like a, a makeshift kitchenette and like a little sink and, and we just made it work. And so you could sleep, um, five and you could squeeze six, no um, which would happen because there would be snowboarders along the way that like didn't have anywhere to stay. And my mom was such a wow. like, you can stay with us. Wow. And they're like, okay, wow. which is fun until like day three, you're like, dude, scoot over. And he's in space. But yeah, so we, 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 we loaded up the van and we started doing the rounds. And that was probably the, the one of the, I mean, greatest, times in my life Why? just the whole because it's just the whole family together mm. and we're watching movies we had like the little mm. tv where you could with the built-in vcr and we mm. would just watch movies and mm. um you know drive around from competition to competition and, and no matter what happened at the event like we would all have each other after so it was kind of like this thing it was like this built-in support group um and it was just so much fun and i just remember being um 
yeah, like think just road tripping all year with your family. How like cool, it was man. so much fun. Yeah. And it really kept us as a close, tight family because yeah. we had these common threads. But that was the van. And, That's so and cool. it was a sad day when we outgrew the van. Oh um, my gosh. I remember I bought my first home in uh, Carlsbad, California, and I was 16, which was epic. Gosh. And it was fun. The only reason I bought there is because the school I was attending said that, you know, I was like, hey, I need extra help with my schooling. I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to make up these tests when I can. They're like, uh, this list of sports that's uh, a tennis, ice skating, horseback riding, like, we don't see snowboarding on the list, so we don't find your sport legitimate. We can't help you. And I was like, oh, really? That was Tory Pines High School. And so I ended up buying a home in Carlsbad to, and then qualifying for the new school district up there. Um, yeah, here's how illegitimate oh, I can buy a house. Yeah, well, that's what was so crazy. I was like, are you guys sure? You know, and so I ended up, you know, buying the house there. And then, like, you know, <laughs> can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but we knew it was day the day to get rid of the motorhome because, like, we parked it at this, it was a beautiful, like, beach community. Yeah. And, like, somebody had, like, you know, yep. saved up their hard-earned money, and they're like, "We made it, baby! Yep, We're in the right. beach community!" Yeah. And, and like, and they got this van parked. The, <laughs> and so somebody had like slashed the tires. It was aggressive. No. We're like, "Are you kidding me?" No way! Like, no way. like this happy, beautiful, like you know, Truman Show style, yeah. Like, yeah. happy yeah. community. They just cut the tires. So it's like maybe it's time. Time to dump and make money. So yeah, we got rid of the van, and uh, it, it went to a good home. A buddy of ours took it on, but uh, that awesome. was the van. Yeah, it was awesome. See, I just want people to picture this. So you know, these guys, like you all see this icon. You see yeah. the, you know, only dude ever. Just to say that out loud, that's won a gold in the winter and summer X Games. That blows yeah. my mind. Three Olympic golds, like, and I think they picture this. And then to find out, this dude's rolling around in Big Mo with his family, yeah. right? Like, I, I, your mom had to mortgage the house. Your mom was a waitress. Your dad yeah. was a working man, like yeah. blue collar. Like, this is such an amazing story that I don't think most people know these elements yeah. of it. And also, many of you are in this stage of your life where, like, you're living in a Big Mo. Like, you're yeah. an entrepreneur trying to make your dream come true, and you're like, I know what it's like to have the fleas infesting, yeah, you know, and I'm yeah. not living where I want to. I'm not eating the food I want to. I'm yeah. struggling. I'm behind. And this is proof that these family sacrifices yeah. can, can, in fact, be worth it. So. And you mentioned the heart condition in the beginning. I mean, mm -hmm. that was the heaviest point of all of it is like I was, I was born with what's called Tetralogy of Fallot. It's a congenital heart defect. And I, was, I have like an oversized heart. So the heart, I was supposed to be somewhat sluggish and very mm -hmm. inactive. <clears> and, <throat> um, and after the repairs, they're like, hey, look, we did our best, but we don't really know. And so that was the biggest is that my family kind of let me find my own boundaries. And Ooh. so they weren't like, hey, you, you can't go running too much or you can't. Mm. And obviously I picked these sports of like skating right. and snowboarding and right. flipping and spinning. But like through all of this, that was an interesting time, too, because through success became like, no, I wouldn't call it haters, but like concern from outside opinion of like you're letting your cardiac kid go mm. do these events. And like I'd have these huge injuries mm. and come into school with big black eyes and things. And like we started getting like backlash from the community because mm. in California or like Southern Cal, like, you know, it, like it said on the list, it wasn't a sport exactly. that people normally yep. do. And yeah. so and there was no Olympics at the time. X mm. Games had just started. It was like kind of a Hail Mary at that point of mm. is this really going to work out? Will there be a future in this sport? Mm. And so on top of like, you know, making ends meet, there wasn't that clear you know, if your yeah. kid gets into football, cool, he's going to yeah. get drafted, and then he's going to get there's his no big real deal. Path. Yeah, yeah, there's like, yep. you know, even even 
basketball stars now like they're like hey let's just save it for the big league you yeah. know like let's wait till i go pro and yep. then cash in because it's not worth it now to get hurt in the uh high school or college um years but yeah so for us it was it was that was like another another element of it and that's why we were so like the underdogs in the situation because you know we were happy with whatever we got at that point because we came from these kind of humble beginnings so so cool so every step of the way any big thing like dude when i got my first like hotel suite like somebody put me up i was like oh my god yeah (laughs) like back flipping on the bed (laughs) you've said some other stuff too like i think like man like you know a lot of people that listen to this have different businesses and many of them don't have business they're employees or yeah or they do different things for their career but like a lot of them that are listening do and like there's no clear path mm-hmm. what's really cool about your story was what you just said i had never thought about yeah. it there was no real clear path there's no clear path yeah that, that's amazing but you we made knew. The path. We, we felt it deep down we're mm-hmm. like look what skiing has done mm-hmm. what if the olympics took it in mm-hmm. what if this you happened? used to think that before oh for sure and then we knew that like and there was whispers of it at mm-hmm. the time you know mm-hmm. i was in in the loop my parents were um, but I just remember knowing what my parents made and their their income every year and then thinking wow like if I just did decent in this sport like for enough time it just felt so appealing to me. Did you ever feel any pressure Sean like to take care of your family since they had sacrificed so much or did that never enter? No pressure but I just wanted to Hmm. you know they were it was family it was just that was it Hmm. you know it was like in the van we're doing we're making it happen and so like no matter what I mean I would get a hotel room comp by somebody and it was like the all you can eat breakfast and I would be like filling the bag and like <laughs> taking it back to the van. It was like we were in it together, you know? Oh my gosh. And so That's amazing. So yeah, it was like every step of the way was family. So like the day I was able to pay my mom back that loan on the house, yeah. that was awesome. It was about fifty thousand dollars she mm. took out on the house and I was able to give that back to her and I felt so proud was that so from, excited was that, just because i know the story is that from that one contest where like the guys wanted the purse and you're like oh no. that was a heavy one um yeah. i don't know if it was that one in particular mm. i think it was years later when mm. i really like i started making great money i'd mm. signed a really big contract when i was 14. You, so this so just everyone gets this yeah. turn pro at 13. turn pro at 13 in, yeah. in snowboarding 17 in skateboarding right uh yeah 17 16. yeah yeah, yeah. but so you find the first big <laughs> you signed your first big deal when you're 14. yeah, yeah. it was an interesting time because you know my parents were my agents so it was kind of like they go in and they're like well you know everybody thinks their kids great you know like, I love I love my dog look at his photo but there's a lot of these things running around like you know what I mean and so my parents were like okay okay and it finally got to this point where I'd gone pro and you know it was undeniable that I was on this trajectory mm. and um, and at that point I almost left Burton because the company had changed so many times over the years like everybody rode for Burton at that point it was kind of blown out like Mm -hmm. everybody was sponsored and getting product it was like the heyday everybody Mm -hmm. was on there and then they really tightened up the group and made like a global team and a B team and a a whole thing and put me on the global team and and decided to like pay me for real yeah and Mm -hmm. so at that point my mom's like you're gonna be a millionaire (laughs) I was just like (laughs) You know, and I'm like eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, oh, that's great. Amazing. So amazing. And that's that's my favorite. That's literally like I loved, uh, you know, it's still like family, man. So even in Japan, that event, there's an amazing photo because so I flew all the way out there and um, 
these competitors, you know, they were getting like a per diem to be mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and their travel was covered by their sponsors and all this stuff. And so they're in Japan, they're having a good, they're in Tokyo, like right. partying and having yeah. fun I'm gonna, and good. They're living their lives and that's great. But like we had to scrape to make it there. And like, again, we're filling the food bag at yeah. breakfast and yeah. bringing it up to the room for the family. And, and uh, the next day of the competition, you know, you could tell people were probably a little hungover, jet lagged and, and not into it. And I had trained really hard and just learned this new secret trick that no one knew I had. Okay. It was called the Cab Cab 900. You know, I'm so excited to unleash this big trick mm. and I get there and they're like, let's call a team, you know, riders meeting. And I think everybody agrees we should split the money and just put on a demo for the people. Like the jump's not that great. We're not mm. feeling it, blah, blah, blah. Because they knew the price purse for first was so big, fifty thousand down to like twenty thousand down to ten, and then like no one got paid below it because they got the per diems when they showed up. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, wow, okay, music to my ears. You're all hungover, and I can kind of tell. Yep. So this is probably the best chance I have of winning. <laughs> and two, like, you know, my family I needs have this. this big trick. And yep. three, like, I'm doing the math, and I, I'm not even going to break even if we do split the money. So. Um, for my expenses to get out there and whatnot. And I had to like sit there for a couple hours and be the only one, I was 15, telling these like mid 20 to 30 year olds that like I was not gonna split the money and they just started to haze me. They did? Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, you know, like lovingly, jokingly, but seriously. Mm -hmm. So there's like this big sign with all of our faces on it you know, our, our, the writer's list. Mm. And, you know, I was, I put my headphones on not to think and I hear them laughing, I look over and they're drawing like dollar signs on my eyes and doing, you know what I mean? They're yeah. like, dude, yeah. if you don't split the money, no one ever wins it that doesn't split the money. You should, you know, everybody was kind of on me and I just stuck to my guns. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna do this. And, and I saw it through and I actually won. And that was That's one awesome. of those first major wins for me. Mm. Um, and that was after upset of not qualifying for the Olympics. Like I was teed up, like I needed this big win and I, and I held strong and I won. And they handed me like $50,000 in yen, piles of yen. And I, and I have the most, so back to the peanut butter and jelly, I have the best photo of like, what do you do when you're a kid and you get 50 grand? You spread it out on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so like, like what, what do you get your Halloween candy? Yeah. Like dump it oh out and, and spread it around. So there's a photo of me like eating my sandwich and like no grinning way. at the camera <laughs> with the beds just covered in cash. Oh my and gosh. that was just like one of those things that we're like, we're doing it. We're yeah. doing the right steps. And I stayed true to who I was and thought and everything and I and I believed in myself and it all worked out. You know what I mean? It mm. truly like I had a plan and a path and I and I wasn't swayed by others. Like mm. and man, at that time I wanted their acceptance so badly. Because mm-hmm. I was the kid. I was the 13-year-old that went pro. Yeah. And so like no one really took me serious in the beginning because I was so small. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't wear the pro clothing because I was so little. I was wearing Burton's sub brand called Backhill, which had like their their logo was a bumblebee. And I was like, you guys, <laughs> we gotta talk about the bumblebee logo. Like, you're killing me. <laughs> Yellow pants, like no one's taking awesome. me serious, man. Like, dude. Okay. <laughs> so finally, like, I had my growth spurt and I could wear the cool guy clothes and, like, and then I won. And that was, like, a real big turning point. That's a great so, story with so, yeah. all kinds of points there. Everybody yeah. trying to get you to conform. And For sure. So he knows this, but, like, I'm a psycho. So, like, I love when I'm around someone world class, I want to know how they think. Mm. So, you know, Please. I've already picked your brain on this stuff a few times. But I want to go through just some stuff you, you, you take for granted that you do that I don't mm. think 
is normal. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, especially in the mental part of your game. So, yeah. talk for a second about, um, if you don't mind, I don't mean this isn't anything, by the way, your brother got married out on this beach. And yeah, I, it's tripping me and, out. Yeah, and, your yeah. and your brother's, you know, obviously you guys are super close. And, of course. But you did, you did tell me there's sort of a difference to you about being mm -hmm. able to compete and practice yeah. and then being ready for the big time, for the yeah. actual competition, and that yeah. there's a difference with certain people yeah. when it's time to compete. And yeah. you're really good when the cameras are on or when it really matters, mm -hmm. and some people mm -hmm. aren't, right? And yeah. You sort of said maybe in your brother's case that he was unbelievable in practice. But Incredible. Yeah. But for some reason, when it was competition time, maybe not his A yeah. game would come out. True or false? Yeah, it? very yeah. true. You know, it was just that weird separator. Mm -hmm. Like, he was so talented and he could do any trick for fun and we're mm -hmm. cruising around the mountain. But, like, when a, when a head, you know, guy at one of our sponsors would show up, because he had his own sponsors and whatnot, mm -hmm. and, like, that guy would show up, like, let's take a run. And it was, like, his moment to kind of show off for the sponsors mm -hmm. or whatever. And he just would crumble like mm. out of nowhere I'm like what happened he's like I don't know <laughs> like, yeah. like fully crumble and and same with the competition he'd be, he'd be killing it in practice and all of a sudden the contest started and he just didn't have that ability to like push it over the edge mm. and for some reason for me it was always like the, that defining moment where I was like oh you're gonna film it yeah. oh we're gonna yep. something's on the line it's like <clears throat> the pressure's on the line and I would do better well, yeah, can no. I tell you one of the reasons, there's something you say every time yeah. I want to say to you because I think it's all in how something's framed in our minds. Mm -hmm. So for you, when competition came, you've said this like 11 times to me and you just yeah, said it yeah. again. You said, it's my chance to show off. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, but a lot of people look like this is, the, they increase the pressure. For you, it's a chance to perform and show off. And yeah. for people that are listening to this, it's like that speech you have to give or that client you have to go see. Yeah. All your preparation has led, this is a chance for you to show off. Yeah. The pressure's less then, right? There's more pressure, frankly, practicing because it's boring and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But your mindset of what competition means <laughs> is different, bro. Like, for sure. what, one of the separators is, the dudes you're competing against, they're scared as when that when they're in the start gate and you're like, I yeah. get to show off. Yeah. And the other thing you say I want you to talk about is you kind of win either way, even if you lose. Oh, that's a big one. So this mindset thing of yours is amazing because it's mm -hmm. it's a meme on social media. I either win or I learn, you know, but like yeah, yeah. most people don't live it. Tell them what you mean by you're gonna win probably either way. So this is important to deal with winning and losing. Yeah. Well it's like it's it, it's like defining that clear goal of like what where do you want to do and where do you want to be and, and what is that? And once you have that clear goal, it's like the winning and, and, and losing along the way doesn't matter as long as you get to that goal. And mm. so I look at it like if I show up to a competition and um, I win, great. I'm on the right path, I'm doing what I need to do, but it's not time to celebrate too much because things can change and I, I'm on the right trajectory, I need to keep going. And, and then if I don't win or I get second or third or I don't even do well, it's just this wonderful like here's where you need to be. And every single time I look at it as like, great, now I know exactly blueprint of like, that person that beat me did their best run. That's all they have. Mm. There's nothing in their back pocket. They're not, they, they put their whole cards on the table. Now I gotta just beat that. And hmm. so it gives this clear, it makes that goal at the end so much clearer because you're like, wow, okay, this is what, this is what we're playing at and this is how we're gonna get there now. Oh. And it's so much better. I mean, man, I was so thankful for so many um, losses in my life. There was, um, there was an X Games where I showed up and I'd been injured the year before and I'd won, came back the next year expecting to win, was teed up to do it, won qualifying, got injured during the, during the practice for finals 
and sat it out, came back the next year thinking, oh, I'm gonna win this thing, mm. got smoked. Mm. Best thing that ever happened to me. Oh my goodness, I got smoked and I was like, okay, great. What did they got, what is the guy that won doing? He was doing these things called the 1080s. So he was doing what's mm -hmm. called back-to-back -back 1080s, one into the next. And for people that don't understand the, the tricks, that it's just degrees of rotation. Mm -hmm. So uh, 180 is a half of a circle, uh, 360 is a full circle, all the way up to 1080. And so I'm like, perfect, he's doing that, then all I need to do is work on this. And I upped my, my bar and my game and my level of where I wanted to be and then did any little step to get there. So it set the goal for me wow. and then I just needed to make the steps up there. The next season was 2006, the Olympic season. I'm so thankful it was that time. I mean, you couldn't have played it better. You know, I had the motivation, I saw the goal, and then I knew how to get there. Where if I had just been winning, it would have been harder for me to just kind of like maintain that like winning streak. There's something about winning and then continually winning because it's a fine line of like trying to better yourself because you're already at the top, you know. Mm -hmm. But when you get that upset, it's like a nice like, oh, okay, hmm. here's where we need to be. See, um, this is so cool because it's rare in life that you get to get inside the brain of the best of all time at something mm -hmm. or someone that's world class. So for you to articulate, think about this, if you had to compete against him, mm -hmm. number one, He's very clear about his goals, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, he thinks he gets to show off when he competes. Oh yeah. And third, <laughs> he wins either way. And so this is pretty important for all of you to listen to. This is how you become the best at what you do. Mm -hmm. These are the mindsets you have to adopt in your life right now, in yeah. your business, in your career. These are the same exact patterns. There's another mm -hmm. thing that you just said in there that you said to me on the jet when we flew back. Yeah, I yeah. just want to say it back to you because <laughs> I love this belief level. And you said to me, because you just said it right there too, but elaborate. If another dude does a trick that you see that you can't do right now, yeah. how's your brain work when you see that? What do you think when you see him do that? Or, or oh, her, I suppose. I mean, usually I immediately like break it down of like, okay, what did he do? Mm -hmm. And then like, how, how hard would it be for me to do it? Mm -hmm. And what would it, what would it mean to get there? So I'm not gonna go try his trick. I'm gonna mm -hmm. go try all, all the tricks around that trick. So if he takes off a certain way, I'll just sit there all day doing that one takeoff. Mm -hmm. And then if he, you know, tricks are built off of other tricks. So if he's doing a front flip, I'll just sit there all day doing front flips. Mm -hmm. Now I got his takeoff, I got the front flip. Okay, how did he land? Okay, that's similar landing to this trick. So mm -hmm. then I'll do that all day. The whole run is, the air he did, the flip he did, and then this, and then I put it all together. Trip. And I just, and I break down each little piece and then I put them together. Um, but it's awesome to get a blueprint of what somebody's already doing. So mm. a lot of my stuff I've tried to train in secret at times because yeah, I don't want to just post it online and have like, here's what I'm doing, yep. you know? Um, but then again, you have to do it at certain competitions, but I love when people are pushing the envelope. That like motivates me. It does. You know, it really does. Like I see somebody doing something, and I go, "Oh, great!" Like, and and I and not only that, I don't want to just copy what they're doing, but I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to do it and then do it in a way that I would do it. I love that. You know, the other thing that you have, you said this to me. You're like, "Well, if he can do it, I could do it." I'm just yeah, gonna oh, do it for better. Sure. And, yeah. I, and I think enough people, you know what I mean? Like, but you take that for granted, brother. Oh, like, yeah. I think a lot of people need to know this. Like, if another person's doing something, you could do it. Mm. So if you see me or someone in a business or whatever, if they're doing it, this is automatic default mindset yeah. isn't, I see the trick, I can't do that. It's literally something I say to myself every single time I'm about to drop in. So, same idea. The guy in front of me drops in and falls, perfect. Blood in the water. Like, what do the judges see right before my killer run is somebody falling? Great. In comparison, it's like, 
have, watching a bad comedian and a great one. You're like, oh, that guy was really good. Maybe he wasn't even that good. He was just much better than the last yeah. guy that came yeah. on. So great. And then if the guy lands a run, if he did it, I could, do, you know I what I mean? I watch that. and I go, oh, well, man, like, if he can land this under pressure, then obviously I got this. And it all kind of like, it's ways to like, bring it down yes. to a normal level of like, uh, you know, a doable sense. Yeah, you, you set all your mental games up, Sean. I caught this when we were talking the first yeah. time. You set all your mental games up where it leads to you winning. That's what, <laughs> no, there's like, there's not a, there's not a door out where yeah. you don't win, even if yeah. you don't win. Yeah. I think it's amazing. So if the guy nails the trick in front of you, like if he can yeah. do it, I can do it better. And if he falls, you're like, perfect. So yeah. you literally, yeah. this is something you do unconsciously. I think it's a little bit of the separator <laughs> for you other than the freakish practice and stuff. But that's another yeah. little thing I want to talk about. Hope you don't mind us layering all no, these things in there great. that yeah. I love about you is you've kind of learned your own preparation routine. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I think you've told me you used to over practice almost oh, a little bit. Yeah. So could you, t yeah. this is important for no matter what their career is, you found your ritual, yeah. if you will, for preparation. So just talk about like a yeah. little bit of the tweaks you've made on that over your career. No, it's great. It's something that, that really came in later in my career because I would show up to the mountain. They're like, you got an hour and a half of practice. I'm the first guy there. Mm -hmm. I start doing my runs and my laps and you know, I'm young and I got all this energy and I'm going and, and I would do my run perfectly. I'd get warmed up then start hammering out my run and do that the exact run as many times as I could before the contest started thinking, mm -hmm. great. I did this run perfect 20 times. I'm ready for the competition. Always fall, always tanked it during the contest. And I'm sitting there like, man, I just nailed it so many times. Like why, like mm -hmm. I was so ready. Hmm. Well, it's because you just did it 20 times perfectly. Of course, there's going to be, we're human. Like there's going to be an error in there. So hmm. then I thought, well, if I know after I warm up, I'm good for 20 solid runs, let's practice less. Hmm. So then I now show up and I go, okay, cool. Like I'm going to show up with that 30 minute warm up. And then after that, I know I'm going to land my runs. Cause hmm. I'm like the hottest I'm going to be all day. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not tired, I've just hit my like warm up streak and I'm gonna do it. And mm -hmm. so I watch people all the time go up there and they over practice. Yes. And it's something that I noticed um, Tiger Woods does in a way. Mm -hmm. I was watching a video and they were describing his, his, his mentality of things where he'll like step up to the ball and he'll like look at the ball, look at where he's gonna hit it, look at the ball again, then hit it. Mm -hmm. And if that routine doesn't work, he goes back and starts the whole system over again. So it's kind of the same idea of like, you can overthink it, you can mm -hmm. overdo it. And if mm -hmm. you know a system of like how to, okay, get to the ball, I look once, ball, look, boom. Like yes. that's, the, that's the system you wanna follow. So now that I know that works for me, I show up. What happens for you, I'm curious. So now you're in the starting block. Yeah. So, that, am I saying oh, yeah. that right? Yeah, the start gate. It's the start gate, you're for at the sure. start gate. What are you doing when you're there? You know, you've told me Dude, this already, but so I love funny. this. My mind's racing as yeah. you're saying that yeah. because like, well, literally the last thing I, you won't find me at the start gate. If it's not my run, I'm taking laps. I'm free riding around the mountain because I don't want to sit there and like watch the count, the counting clock going down. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God, here's my run. You don't want that. You want to show up like you just took a lap and you're fresh, your legs are fresh and, and, other riders have started doing it and I see them all now like following me around the chair. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Because if you sit there, it's too much to just sit mm. and like watch this, oh my God, this countdown to your moment. So mm. I, I take free riding laps around the mountain, then I show up, check in, how many more riders? 10 more, cool, I got one more lap, come back. 
get my board waxed, I show up, and then in the start gate, it's an interesting time. So the guys you really want to see are toward the end because after qualifying, they're mm -hmm. seated mm -hmm. on the rankings from the day before. So when I'm up there, I usually get three people out. And after the first of the three go, I put in one binding. <clears throat> Just put in one. It's this specific. Oh yeah. And then after the second guy goes, uh, I put in the second binding. And I don't really watch those two. I kind of glance, but I kind of like thinking to myself of my run. I'm thinking of, you know, things and talking to people and anything to kill the time. And then the third and last person drops and I watch that one. And I'm waiting for like what we talked about. Yeah. I'm waiting for the, oh, he made it so I can make it or he fell perfect, you know, and that's my moment. And what's wonderful is the power of music. So when you're standing there, you can pre-pick the songs you want to play over the pipe or you have, you know, Beats headphones in, whatever. And <clears throat> that nervous anxiousness, like, like think about you're standing there at the top and all of a sudden like you're contemplating all the things that could go wrong, which usually I've gotten to the point where I don't because I'm, I'm so, that's just such a useless waste of my time to think of all the of terrible outcomes. <laughs> you know, right. you just want to think of the like, I'm going to win it. That's it. You focus on the goal at hand. And, uh, and then this song kicks on. It's like your favorite song. You're like, wow, this is the soundtrack to my life. You're like, you're mm. like got a soundtrack now to your, your greatest moment. You're like, this might just be my, mm. my moment, my time to shine. And, and all those things, those like awkward feelings turn into these positive build and then they send you. Um, and then I have a little routine of like high-fiving my one guy mm -hmm. and, and usually playing the same song because mm -hmm. it's a trigger. Yes. Um, so it's like one foot in, second foot in, that guy goes, whatever happens, check the score, high-five my guy, and then go. And, and I don't really miss a beat. Like when they tell me to go, I'm like ready to go. Or if I'm not, I'll take an extra minute, like the step up to the golf swing. Like I'll, I'll, I'll kind of readjust, put my goggles, listen to the song, then go again. Dude. But yeah. One of my favorite things ever covered on the show. What's up? That's one of my favorite things we've oh, ever covered right on the show. Because yeah. one, I watched your whole physiology change when you did it. It oh, looked like yeah. you were ready I'm to thinking, go. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I get like. <laughs> did it. She put you back in. I don't know that version of Thank you. Thank God I, just, I wear a mask I on Friday. Because I'm like, yeah. I, I'm not normally, I'm I in know. my normal life, I'm pretty mellow. They're You're like, do you chill. need to like jump out of a plane right. and feel alive? Right. I'm like, no, dude, I'm, like, I'm like having tea at the Soho. I'm very mellow in my normal life. Until you just went into your routine. You put me in the situation and it's like something's on the line, people are watching and the pressure, and then I have that moment to, I guess, yeah. shine or show off or, or deliver something that I know I can. Yeah. Um, it's ability to shrink focus in the moment yeah. needed and that routine. So if you're listening to this, what's your routine? Mm -hmm. Before you make your presentation, before you make your call, before you get into work, what's your routine? You have that yep. song? Everybody should have that. I have it too. Totally. Like when I speak, there's. But just so every every time I speak, thunderstruck comes on. Every okay. single time, if I speak, that's what comes out. It changes yeah. my state. I go into my little routine. Yeah. What about um, last thing on this stuff? Just because you're excellent, at this no, and I just great. want every. It's rare in your lifetime you get to listen to someone who's the greatest of all time at something. Mm. And and I know you always get humble when that's said, but it's a fact. And I always look down. I'm like, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but like, what's? I gotta it? give myself some more credit. You do. <laughs> well, we're just in the beginning because there's some stuff. Well, I'm, I'm always. I never did because I was so hungry for the next win yeah. that I was so scared to celebrate. You yes, know what I, mean? I like, do know. Most recently, my my girlfriend was like, "Where are the trophies?" Hmm. 
where are they? I was like, I don't know. They're in storage somewhere. They're in boxes. She's like, so you work so hard for these things and you don't even like look at them or like, where, where are they? And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, let's put, there's, there's so many boxes that like ran, I pulled them all out and like tried to fill our one room at the house with stuff. But um, crazy. it's so funny because I never really took the time to enjoy the wins as well. And that's my new stage of life is yeah. like, it's like, yeah, what got me here won't take me the rest of the way. And now I need that reassurance of like, man, I've done so much. Like I can't, that, that, that feeling of like hunger to like, oh, I need it. I need it. Doesn't work for me. It's more that like, you know, I, I want to pursue this and that's my goal because I feel, I feel great about myself and about my accomplishments and I'd want more now. There's a perfect, rather than like, yeah, perfect lesson there, bro. Yeah. I just want to say something like, I love that you said that because it's honest, number one. Mm -hmm. And people listening to this, I want to say something to you because this happened for me in my career too. If you're early in your career, you know what? It's okay to be motivated by loss and fear. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Like that's a driver. Oh, for sure. But after a while, if you keep pushing the same mechanism, mm -hmm on yourself, it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I'm watching it with Tiger right now golfing. He's a different guy. It's like he's actually enjoying the game. For sure, He's yeah. smiling, he's laughing. It's yeah. like he's, I look at him, I watched him this weekend, he's looking around and he was looking at this little boy and laughing yeah. and the old Tiger would be so, the whole time. And I think he's like, now this stage of my career, yeah. the whole grind thing won't work anymore. Yeah. He grinded himself out of golf almost mentally, right? Yeah. And I think back now he's sort of celebrating the enjoyment. It's like you want to win because you're running up the score, obviously. Yeah. Reminds me, by the way. And, did and you that, really? Did, go ahead. No, I was going to say yeah. that's a hard one because when you're grinding, it just feels like a deeper grind. It feels home. You're like, no, I just need to really grind. Yeah. <laughs> like I need yeah. to really dig in deeper and make, make that loss and hurt and whatever into a positive motivator yeah. to win again. Because it's and, your recipe. Yeah, but you've just dug so deep that it doesn't, you can't it's pull from there. there anymore. And that's an eye opener. I mean, I hit that point after uh, the Sochi Olympics. Mm -hmm. And that was hard for me. I was sitting there like, you know, at that Olympics, I had the highest score of the night was my qualifying run. I was like, why did I do the easy run? Like, what are, <laughs> you know what I mean? So many thoughts going through my head, but I, I was literally holding the winning cars. I just couldn't play them. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get myself to do it. And that was the hardest thing is after that Olympics, they're like, so can you do another whatever? And, and you know, maybe his age, maybe it was this, whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking like, if it were physical, it'd be so awesome and so easy. You can easily go do more push-ups and sit-ups to get a better trainer to motivate you. Like, but to get your mind right is, it's a whole nother battle. And so from that point on, I started this process of like, oh, should bring the metal, like, yeah. you know, be be thankful and appreciative of today and what you're doing, and and that in turn will bring. Uh, uh, more motivation later on. Yeah, you can't you can't yeah. fool yourself when you've won that much, right? For and sure. I, there is a there's a role model for this too, by the way, who you know, which is Brady. I watched oh, Brady yeah. last year. It's the first year he didn't go to um, their uh, non mandatory mini camps. Oh, okay. first year he didn't grind. He's like, you know what? This off season, I'm on a vacation with my family. Oh, I know awesome. the mental break I need to make. And I remember even me thinking, uh oh, he's slipping. Uh oh, he's yeah, losing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then he comes back and wins another Super Bowl. Absolutely. So he's evolved yeah. that formula a little yeah. bit over time. So I just want you to know there's validation no, for what I you're like doing. That. I like and Tiger's that. winning again in the yeah. same way. So, so, but the other way, he was so crazy with his awards. This is, I just need them to hear this. Yeah. Did you really dry clean your gold medal? <laughs> is this my, really true? My mom did. So, so we were. <laughs> Yeah, so my mom, man, so I, I was, 
I'm 19, I gotta go, man, I'm running around doing the talk shows and doing all this stuff. People are like, let me put it on, let me check it and touch it. You know, and by the end, the ribbon that was attached to the metal is, you know, was looking pretty grimy, (laughs) unfortunately. And my mom, you know, I I can't find it. I'm like, where is it? I'm calling my friends, like, you have my medal, right? And they're like, no. And I'm calling around, I'm trying to find it. And um, she's like, oh no, I dropped it off at the cleaner. And I was, I was like, medal. what do you mean? She's like, oh, it looked dirty. I dropped it off. Oh my God. And I just remember going like, oh my God. Like you can't get, those, that's un, you can't replace that. Right. Like you, you, so I'm in a full panic. I, I'm like, all right, well, which cleaner? Like, okay, well, it's this one. So we go over there and they're like, oh yeah, it's ready. And they literally handed it to me in the plastic oh on the God. hanger. And she was outraged. That the that that piece of fat they charge us like five or ten dollars to have it cleaned and she was like ten dollars for this much. She's still spreading yeah, the money. Just like, like the old are days. you kidding me? Come on, <laughs> take an air freshener. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's what you find bizarre. Oh like, my gosh. yeah. So I remember like, okay, we got to get a better place to keep. Dude, this, that's but. one of the greatest stories ever. I wonder how many people that have yeah. gold medals have dry cleaned them. I don't yeah, think. for sure. Because like, <laughs> Dude, I just never forget getting it handed to me in the plastic like little oh hanger <laughs> they did a good job dude, it was clean you're nuts. your mother <laughs> so. is nuts i love that story brother yeah it was a good one okay a couple more things a couple more things i'm enjoying this so much yeah, I'm, I'm making yeah. you go a little longer because it's too good no it's but, good but, thanks for having me this has been fun oh man i'm loving it i'm loving it so you um do you get scared like, I've, we forget, like, you're in a really dangerous sport. Dude, I watched your crash in New Zealand. Yeah, that was rough. Was that the worst one, or was there one, the other one, I've seen another one that was pretty, you got 62 stitches. Yeah, in my face. In your, in your grill, right? Like, yeah. Like, I would say it wasn't the worst pain or the most uh, uh, recovery time, but it was the most mentally jarring, I would say for sure. How so? Just because it's like your face, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's, it, it, it's uncomfortable to have stitches, to have bitten through my, I bit through my tongue. I, I can still feel it. Like it was numb forever to eat food, still slightly numb. Like it's just every day, the constant reminder of something, um, you know, looking in the mirror. So that was rough. And, you, you know, because if you, if you break a bone or if you tear something, it needs to be fixed and replaced, you know, yeah. reattached or whatever. Like. <clears throat> it's more involved where you know scars and cuts and bruises heal a lot easier but obviously since it was in my face yeah. I was just like okay now what I'm like trying to brush my teeth and I'm just spitting up Ooh, you know stitches falling out of the inside um, what's the next run like are you I mean you just had that happen is it key to get up as soon as you can or I was furious at that moment I wasn't hurt I wasn't I wasn't scared, I was, uh, I was mad. I was angry at myself because I knew the mistake I'd made and I was the most upset that I couldn't just get up and do it again. Mm. That was my first thought. Mm. The worst thing that can happen is you let it build into this yeah. big, untouchable thing. Yep. And that's what happened. I had to be rushed to the hospital, mm. I'm bleeding, they gotta put my face back together. And, and, uh, and I, I didn't realize at the time, but I had these, um, very severe pulmonary lung contusions. So my lungs were bruised and your lungs are like these big um, sacks of blood yeah. that you know when you breathe you take in the oxygen and it sends it through your body and and I had bruised those so badly that I was 
coughing up blood, but I thought it was because I had, you know, the surgery, I had swallowing blood from my lip and my face. Mm. And so that was like a fun surprise later that I, I went back to the hospital and they're like, you're not going anywhere. You need to go back up. And I put me on a breathing tube. And, oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. yeah. It was a, um, a breathing tube with like humidifier, yeah. uh, you know, hot air coming in, moist air to to loosen the blood Whoa. and make sure there's no clots and things. And, and I had this fun bucket that I would, no you know, cough up into. And, and that was rough. I mean, that was just definitely being so far from home, being injured. And, um, and I took a crash on the, the trip before that. So this was the trip of like, we're going to set it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Heck with last trip. This is this trip. We're going to make it happen. And so everything was going perfect, beautiful day. And then boom, one wrong move. Um, to get back to back deals. But I do, I do, I don't know if I would call it, yeah, I get scared. I don't, I don't know if I would call it that though. It's more of just like reading the situation. Mm. Like I know that like I didn't get enough food or I didn't get enough sleep. The conditions aren't really the best mm. and you know, I don't know. You walk in somewhere, ever get a gut feeling like yeah. oh, this, this isn't, something's off. Like yep. that. I walk away all the time. You do. You just and people jump don't realize that a lot about me and, and the longevity of my career is because I walk away a lot. You do. When it's not good, I walk away. I have to, I have to know myself and know my boundaries. Mm. And like I said earlier, is like, what's the goal? And the goal of my career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's mm. not to appease a sponsor at this current moment or to win this one contest. There will be other contests. Mm. And so it's having the kind of, um, you know, when we were at that event and they were talking about having the guts to like ride the, the, the crash of the economy yeah. and, and buy deeper knowing it's going to go yeah. back up. Like I have to believe in myself and my cycle of my career and my longevity that like I will get to um, you know, more competitions, more things, more moments to shine. And when it's perfect, then I'll do it. But mm -hmm. getting hurt right now doesn't really benefit that long run. Wow. And so there's plenty of times I show up at a photo shoot, something like that. And um, <clears throat> they built this giant 90 foot jump. It's kind of breezy, a little uphill. Like they, I can see they put these flags that, that blow to show the, what the wind's doing. Cause I think you're going that far and you got something on your feet, it becomes like a bit of a sail. Yeah. So if it pushes you the wrong way, it can put you off access and then you go down. Or, you know, if it's uphill wind and you're jumping, it'll push you back. So you don't go far enough. You hit the top and then you bounce down to the bottom. It's oh, like there's a lot that could go wrong mm. the time of day. Mm. It was hot in the morning when we were hitting the jump and the sun dropped behind the peak and now this, the, the snow has cooled down and hardened so it's faster. Like there's all these variables that go into it and so when I'm not feeling it, I walk away. And the tough part is, is when you get, you know, at that photo shoot, there's like six other young up and coming writers like, ah, my moment to shine up, you know, to one up Sean White. And, and you gotta be strong enough to know like, cool, go for it, man. Like, mm -hmm. hey, have fun. I know me and I know I'm not cool with it. And I'll, you know, if, if you maybe hit it and whatever. And, and a lot of times they get hurt, unfortunately. They you do. know, yeah. They don't know their boundaries and they're so eager to try and please and try and, you know, get that leg up that they're not really seeing the full long run of it all. Do you think, be honest too, yeah, 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 this please. is a hard one. So in golf for a while, Tiger Woods had this kind of intimidation factor Yeah. where I don't know if guys just thought I got to play even better than I really am to beat this guy and maybe oh, they extend sure. themselves too far. Yeah. People pay the Patriots. It seems like 
they make more mistakes against the Patriots than they do other teams, mm -hmm. right? And it, I've seen it happen with Federer or even yeah. Agassi, one of your heroes in tennis, yeah, right? Yeah, when they play yeah. these guys. Do you have a, Dale Earnhardt Sr. had that in NASCAR, yeah, the yeah, Intimidator. Yeah. Do you have a little of that, if you're being honest in, in, in snowboarding, like a little of an intimidation factor on, on guys? I know that's hard to say on camera, no, no, but I'm curious. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, I mean. Do you think about it? I do. It's a factor. It, you have to factor it into the, to, it, that's a part of knowing your competitors and knowing what's going on. And it's like, I remember reading Andre Agassi's book and it was, it, it was perfectly said where like the, you know, whatever other tennis player he was about to, to you know, be in the match with would walk out and he'd get the cheer. And then Agassi would walk out and get the cheer. You know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. just showing. It's a subtle reminder of like mm -hmm. who people came to see and what's mm -hmm. going on. And and not that I try to. You know, it's so hard. I love talking to you about this because it's not a cockiness. It's just mm -hmm. knowing yourself and knowing what's going on mm -hmm. and knowing the situation and how to be present and, and and to use it to your advantage. But yeah, when I step up on the snow and I know that I'm going to get the cheer and I know they're going to hear that and I know that you know, when I show up and do certain things, it'll put them in a mood of thinking that they have to go for it. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, I just put in an easy run. How much of it do you have to visualize? Like how much is visualization a part yeah. of what you do in both sports? I think it's huge. And I, and I love that you touched on the other things that I've done in my life because I started with the template of snowboarding and then took the same ideals and applied them to skating and then to music. So like when I was at the top of my game in snowboarding, I was like, how did I get there? Okay, I'd show up and I'd lose, see what the best guy was doing and then work on those tricks that are winning the event and work my way up to him. You know what I mean? And then the same thing happened in skating. I was at the top of my game and I started at the bottom of the barrel again and applied the same sort of attitude of like, oh, well, you know, what tricks is he doing that's winning? And that even got me in a little hot water because they're like, you can't do that trick. That's so-and-so's trick. And I was like, well, what do you mean? It's his trick. Like, you know, I get a, a bit of understanding of like, you don't want to copy somebody's mm -hmm. run, but everybody's trick is from someone else right. anyway. So it's like the progression of the sport. And in order to learn his trick, then brought me to the point of learning an even better trick. So it's a stepping stone on my path. It's not about taking his trick. And, and I worked that all the way to the same situation. So when it came to music, I formulated a plan and I had a goal of like, okay, I want to release an album or I want to do this. And then how would I do it? And I took into all the factors of like, well, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate being the fact that like I'm a known snowboarder mm -hmm. celebrity in this world and now I'm in this world. So, <clears throat> and I faced that in skating because I was kind of like, not a tourist because I had been in the skate scene, but I didn't compete. And once mm -hmm. I started to compete, it changed the dynamic. Mm -hmm. And everybody kind of looked at me differently and treated me differently. And it just became a new thing. Mm -hmm. And so same from learning from that going into music, I was like, oh, well, like, obviously, I don't want to just like buy my way in. I could, but mm -hmm. I don't want to like, we're not going to have a giant tour bus. And all. like, we're going to hit the van. Mm -hmm. I want people to see me like carrying my amp off stage. I want people to know that like, sure. I'm not above the, sure. you know, like I grind it out like everyone else. We want to do the thing. And the only reason we were at Lollapalooza was we were playing this like kids area. Like we went to Lollapalooza and I was like making a point of it. I was like, perfect. I want people to see me there playing this like really, you know, small timey thing to know that like I'm serious. Like if you want us to play, we'll play because mm -hmm. we play. That's what's up. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're there as musicians and 
no gig, gigs a gig, like we're, we're down. So mm. like loading our gear in and out and whatever. And that sort of mentality brought me there. And what happened was one of uh, the bands that was headlining, it was called the Grove Stage. Um, I don't know, they posted a sign like, our art will not be displayed here and people rioted and trashed their gear or whatever. And it was like out of a movie, they're like, we need a band to play the main stage at nine o'clock. And I'm like, we're a band. No <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, really? so then so then we we pull up and like we got this big slot and you know every other musician's timed out so they can't just bump up the the second tier act because that's when people know to come to see them. So we got the headlining slot and I'm standing there I'm like, all right, this is our moment. And then the same snowboarding mentality kicked in where I was like, it's time to shine. So we turned it on with best one of the best shows of our our careers and um <clears throat> And the, the, the funniest thing that happened was we weren't ready for a time slot like that. We didn't actually have enough songs <laughs> to finish it. So they're like, what? You get that every, you say, I don't care who you are. And even if you watch the rock movie, you're like, if I could be standing there and the, the crowd is cheering for one more song, like that's just the, the best dream come true. And it happened at Lollapalooza. I'm sitting there like, oh my God, this is the best. And then I'm like, Oh my God, we don't have another song. We don't have another song. And they're like, play the first one again. <laughs> like, That's yes. great. <laughs> yes. That is great. You know, but, um, oh but yeah, gosh. incredible time. And, and, you know, but I, I feel like visualizing, like, what are you going to wear in that moment? Who's going to be there to celebrate with you? What's it all going to, and it's, it's having that clear uh, visual of what you want and there's a lot of people I feel like that tell themselves what they want and I need this and I need that and like mm -hmm. it's like when you're sitting at home and you're like it's Friday night like should I go out mm -hmm. not like and what do you truly want to do like no you don't feel like I want to get dressed and mm -hmm. put on nice stuff like don't don't think what you should do know what you want to do like know you need know what you need to do like you know what? if I really need some interaction with people you go out mm -hmm. you feel it deep down if you really want to go out or not mm -hmm. or, or, or do something like and a lot of times the real answer is like, I don't need them or anybody to validate what I'm doing. Like I, I know what I want and I know what I need and here's what it is. And then, and, and you start living that way and it kind of like the, the, the goals start to set themselves. Like it, it just starts to become more clear. And the more you do it, the easier it is to define those goals and, and wrap things around them. So I'm very visual. I always like have these little, all these little details. It's kind of crazy, crazy, hmm. too deep. Like how so? Like what's crazy about it? Like, what Man, so uh, <laughs> so after the first Olympics, I remember looking at the photos of myself, and I was like, I look horrible. I, my hair was like all crazy, mm -hmm. you know. I'm like, I'm like ugly crying. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring your family. Yeah. Like, oh, I love you, Dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you're like crying, and they put you on stage, and I just remember being like, oh my god, like, and those are the photos seen like around right, the world, and. Obviously, I'm proud of that moment, mm -hmm. but I could have, you know, you're young, you're worried about your, sure. your image and whatnot. And so I was like, if I did it again, like, mm -hmm. this is how it would go down. And, and I had all these little plans of, of like, I would take my face mask and like roll it into a headband because it would keep my hair in control. Like I pre-planned every Whoa. single thing of what I was gonna do, how I was gonna do it. And I, I got to like relive that same exact day. And this is where it gets weird is that, I was asked to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, and as a music fan, that was like dream come true. That movie Almost Famous came out, and I was like, I'm gonna be on the Rolling Stone cover. And so I'm super excited, and I remember um, being on the cover, and they're like, take your shirt off. 
<laughs> it's like, you know, like yeah. my 19-year-old, yeah. like, freckled boy body. <laughs> like, is this what you want? Like, I don't know if this is what we want. You know, and I remember seeing it come out and like the headline wasn't super cool. It was about like my nickname at the time. And like, you know, and I was like, if I did it again, like what would I be wearing and what would I do? And so, so long story short is I was at the Hard Rock in Las Vegas and I was walking through during my 21st birthday and I saw like a big thing with like Slash's guitar from Guns N' Roses. And there was a video playing of Axl Rose and he was wearing these like crazy American flag shorts. I was like, that's cool. Like, I don't think I could do the shorts. That's a bold one <laughs> and it's cold in the mountains. So I'll, maybe I'll make some, just so I had these jeans made. And the whole idea was that if I can win the Olympics, then maybe the Rolling Stone will ask me to be on the cover again and then I'll have the jeans. Wow. And, it, and it became about, and, and, and then even deeper was to be on display in the hard rock. There's the full circle. And I was like, well, if I was on the cover again, it's rock and roll, so then it might be a rock and roll history piece. So I literally, like, I had the pants made. Rolling Stone, I won. It became more about, like, wearing the pants and winning the Olympics, yeah. and, it, and it brought it down to a fun, achievable goal and level. And so I literally, like, won the Olympics, got the phone call from Rolling Stone, appeared on the cover in the pants, and then within, like, the next... Uh, you know, a month after the uh, cover came out, I was on display at the Hard Rock. Okay, that's an amazing story. It was yeah. crazy. Like, I had, I had, and it Whoa. all came to be, and it all, like, Whoa. so there's such power in, like, you know, the details and what you're going to, I don't know. No, I mean, no. I only say that because it's literally happened for me. Yeah. I got chills. <laughs> I got chills because what you nuts? Just, it's, like, it's nuts, but I, believe, yeah. I, I, well, I know it happened, and the other yeah. thing is, See, the really most successful people I know are like hyper-visual, repetitive, specific visualizers. Like it's mm -hmm. so specific. I think a lot of people think they visualize, but it's the specificity yes. and the details oh, of sure. picturing through. And the other thing is a lot of times they picture the celebration. They picture the win. They almost yeah. like almost like the win's almost gonna happen, and then they think through it. And it's yeah. amazing. I've had a lot of events like that, nowhere near that great, obviously, mm -hmm. but like things I've visualized many, many times, and then as they're happening, it's almost like a deja vu thing mm -hmm. as it's happening. So mm -hmm. that's a, dude, there's yeah. so many things in here. <laughs> it's like, we, we'll end up going three hours because it's bizarre to me yeah. how many of these things like, apply to everything in life. The other thing yeah. I want everyone to know about we'll him too. We'll do a part two. We need to. <laughs> we'll well, we talked about doing that later, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 because I got stuff coming up I know. Uh, in, so, the, in the future. So we're gonna, me, we're so. gonna, I want everyone, to, we're talking about the coming up and then we'll be done. We're just gonna yeah, hint yeah. that we won't cover it and then we'll, we'll put a wrap. But give me yeah. one more key thing you do that most people wouldn't know about. You know, for me, I think the biggest thing that, that pops into my mind is like finding the separator. Finding the thing that's gonna be different from everyone else. So like when you're watching someone's run, a great example, I was at a big competition and they had these two jumps that were side by side. And earlier on in the day, we'd heard a rumor that one of the main riders, his name's Travis Rice, he tried to gap between the two jumps and didn't make it. And now no one else tried it. No one. They just heard that it, 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 someone couldn't do it, and then they all kind of like gave up. And in my mind, I was like, "That's where I'm going to make my move. Even if I just do something over that, you're going to look at the run, and what's going to separate it from everybody else is that Sean did something on that specific hit. You know, and I, I, I truly believe I wasn't the best rider that day, but I had that thing in my run that separated me from everyone else. So at the Olympics, I mean, that was it, this last Olympics in, in, in Korea, you know, I remember sitting there thinking like, wow, you know, I was supposed to be 
uh, leagues, you know, hopefully I try to separate myself from the pack with a trick that just some people can't hang with. You know, mm -hmm. if I put it down, I'm guaranteed to win. But since I was injured, it leveled the playing field. So I was thinking, well, what's my separator going to be? What's going to be different? So I decided to do my hardest trick right out the gate on the first hit mm -hmm. to show that you know, I'm coming out swinging with that, that sort of thing where my competitor did an air on his first hit. So oh you're left with this impression of like, he came out, oh he did the biggest hit of his, you know, uh, uh, run right there off the bat, the hardest trick, hardest combination, and then I ended with the hardest combination. And what were you left with? So it's that separator that you can find, anything to kind of like, make you stand out from the pack and that's Ooh, what you want. That's yeah, huge. Yeah. So everyone listening to this, you gotta be thinking, what's your separator for you personally, for your business, for your product, exactly. for your company, for your family, for something in your sport, what's your mm -hmm. separator? That's really yeah. good, brother. If you're all, yeah, you're all selling the same thing, but what's gonna be that one unique thing that makes your stand out more than everyone else? Is it the packaging? Is it the, yeah, I always find that that's that thing. And even in my, my career as like, the way I look, like I had long red hair. And so mm -hmm. like, they're like, oh yeah, he looks different then. So I just grew it even longer. Like I became, you know, uh, I looked different. I did things differently. If everybody was gonna show up wearing hoodies, like I, was, I would show up in like a nice suit or something, mm -hmm. like any little detail to kind of like put me in a different, you know, um, bracket or a different place. And then when, when you start doing that, everybody else looks at you different. Like, oh, he's different. He's special. He's, mm. you know, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's more to it than just, you know, competing, obviously. Like wow. you said, there's more, there, there, there's layers to it. Wow, man. That's outstanding yeah. stuff. One thing I also want you guys to know about him that we're not going to have time to cover, but he also, he's not just done this in music. He's also done this in the business side of his life mm. and in the investment and financial side of his life without being very specific, he's a very, very successful man financially. Mm. And one of the things that I admire the most about you is it's your humility. So I've been with you, you treat someone at Chipotle exactly how you would treat one mm. of the more famous people that we both know, right? Mm, you just, yeah, yeah. for some dude who's been this successful this long, for you to maintain your- We did your hit Chipotle. We actually did hit Chipotle, <laughs> did that's a real place we've been together. It actually happened. We actually have it. Remember when the driver left us, by the way? I we're know, standing on the side like, of the street. where is this guy? We were literally standing on a corner, me and him in Canada. But we were pretty happy, we're, we're like- We're chowing burritos. <laughs> yeah. but, but you treat uh, everybody the same, but that humility, yeah. He asks a lot of questions, guys, about mm -hmm. business and, and investment and, and how to move his life forward. And that only comes from being humble. And I think that same formula of you picturing it, putting the group together, and the mm -hmm. it's just the same exact formula. But yeah. everyone will kick my butt if I don't at least ask you towards the end about skateboarding. Oh, please. So this guy's obviously become an icon in the skateboarding world yeah. as well. And people kind of want to know, I know you can't answer this, but one, I'll just say this, you were yeah. skateboarding before you came here today. I was, So yeah. people are kind of curious, it. what would you tell them about where you're heading mm -hmm. in skateboarding? And then I'm just curious, the second part of that, which sport is harder for you of the uh, two? And then, so tell them what you're doing with skateboarding yeah. to the extent you can, yeah. and then which sport's harder? <laughs> Well, to bring it back, I mean, so for the first time ever, the Olympics, for the Summer Olympics, will uh, host um, skateboarding, surfing, I think rock climbing. Those are the new sports that came into the Olympics um, for the Summer Games. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm known in the world of snowboarding from winning, you know, the Olympics and things. And everybody pictures me as, as such a snowboarder, but in the background and not as much... Uh, uh, exposure as the Olympics would give you, I'm just as much of a skateboarder. Yeah. And so uh, my skateboarding career was doing great. I mean, I went pro at 16 and I, I basically accomplished my goals of winning winter, summer X games. Under. And I was at the top of both sports. Under. And I only <clears throat> traded 
that out because it became so demanding on my body to do winter, summer, winter. I had no stops. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what an amazing thing to trade in music during that time. It's the mm. new frontier for me to do something. Mm. And at the time it was beautiful because it was the only team element thing I had. So it was a nice uh, contrast to my life on the, mm. on the snow being this is my thing, me, me, me. This was like, what are we doing in mm. our collective sound and how are we mm. getting it done? So it was a nice contrast to my life at the time. Um, and, and, and at the time when the skateboarding motivation, like we said, digging from that same place, if I got to win, wasn't really there anymore. And I realized that um, from my snowboarding and things. And so I kind of shelved the skating and now boom, they put it into the Olympics. And it's given me this kind of like win to pick it back up. Mm -hmm. And obviously picking up something that I don't do as often, um, you know, it's so, everything's exciting, everything's fun, just, you know, being out skating different parks and yeah. making new friends, um, you know, because everybody I skated with at the time skates vert, and so I should be clear about that, is that vert skating is like Tony Hawk and, and myself, that's how I competed on these big ramps, very similar to snowboarding, right now they're doing park which is like bowls and corners and hips and mm. rails and things like that. And so it's a different discipline, but wow. I can take a lot of what I learned from vert and bring it to the bowl skating. Mm. And then I've skated things like that my whole life. So it's an interesting time. And I haven't officially decided to go for skate, but what you talked about earlier, Tom Brady taking a break, mm. I realized that after the Olympics, nothing compares to it. Mm. The excitement, the drive, that every single moment in your life has meaning and purpose because it's leading up to this moment. Mm. And no matter what, win or lose, you're left with this like drop off, yeah. you know? And it's difficult and no one really like, you've spent your whole time doing and working at something and somebody all of a sudden is like, somebody said something to me like, you need to work at chilling. You need to work at being able to just turn it off and chill. I hear that too. And it's hard without yeah. being a depressor. You need to learn how to just be calm and be content and, and enjoy that moment um, without that goal at hand. And so naturally I take the season after the Olympics off anyways. Mm -hmm. And so I've been filling that time with skateboarding. It's mm -hmm. been like wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't officially decided to go for skate, but I think the qualifying's in June. So at some point I'm gonna either have to- Where do you think the qualifying is? I think the first one will be the Dew Tour event in Huntington. I think it is too. So, you gotta come. Okay, you gotta I come. come. Well, if you end Big up there, sign. I will be there. Max out! Max So, that's yeah. sort of a hint as to where you're going. Yeah. So, so, so brother, like, I've enjoyed today. I, I can't even tell you, man. I knew this would be great, but I right just enjoyed on. it so much. But I want everybody to be able to follow you because we're gonna be able to, mm -hmm. you know, the folks in my audience are already fans of yours, but not all of my audience follows you and vice versa. So, where do they find you? Where would you like them to be kind of following your journey, whether it's skateboarding yeah. or snowboarding or business or music or yeah, whatever it is? Yeah. Where should they find you? You can find me, Sean White, on Instagram, uh, S-H-A-U-N White. And then uh, same same on uh, Twitter. And then um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm kind of at a pause right now after getting some inspiration of what you're doing. I really want to dig deeper and have quality, cool content that I'm putting out, especially for this lead up, you know, to the potential yeah. Summer Olympics or even the Olympics after that for the next winter if I decide that's what I want to do. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to dig deeper into YouTube, but that's a, a exciting place for me where you can come check out what I'm up to and uh, see what, a little bit more about what my life's like. So stay tuned to him on Instagram, guys. It'll, it's in a, it's, he's posting, but you're going to see a whole lot more in the future yeah, going forward. Yeah, yeah, so. up. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. I enjoyed today so me, much. <laughs> I loved it, brother. It's like, it was so wonderful. Everybody, I know you enjoyed today's program. As I always tell you, please share this with people. 
number one program in the world, fastest growing program in the world for a reason. And also remember this, every day on social media, I want to engage with you too, at Ed Milet, E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T. And the reason I want to engage with you is because I want to know what you're thinking, what you're going through. It helps me create content, tells yeah. me which guests to bring on. So many of you requested Sean after you saw us together in Canada, and I got <laughs> him right. for you. And so remember, every day on social media, on Instagram, I run the max out two-minute drill. What that means is in the first two minutes when I make a post on Instagram, if you make a comment on there in the first two minutes, you enter a daily drawing. Just post. So turn your notifications on mm. after you follow me. If you make a comment in the first two minutes, we pick a winner every day. They get coaching calls with my guests, me, my book, Max Out Gear, tickets to my speaking engagements. So every day, first two minutes, make a comment. Also, if you miss the first two minutes, here's what's cool, because you don't always get the notification. As long as you make a comment every day on every post, you can win as well. So if you miss the first two minutes, it's five hours later, make a comment, you're involved there as well. And if you make one every day, we pick a winner from that group. So there's two ways to win. And here's a secret. I usually post between like 7.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. Pacific time, which is 10.30 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern time. Typically post within that window so you kind of know when it's coming. But again, first two minutes or any time, you can win. So I love to engage with you there. Again, share the program with everybody. God bless you and Max out. This is the Ed Milet Show.